doing? Nothing. What are you, what is into you? Okay, uh, welcome. This is Known Unknowns. I'm Carly. I'm Harry. Do we do that at the top? Yes. Damn it. I forget. <laughs> Harry, I genuinely, I forget what we do. Yeah, I know. I really forget. Um, so what's up this week? Um, uh, I don't know. Nothing, really. Cool. Uh, We've just been working. Yeah. Was it this week or last week where there was the NBA Wildcat strike slash other sports? <laughs> uh, last week, maybe? Last I don't week. remember. That was probably one of the things that I was like going to talk about last week, but then forgot about. Oh, probably, yeah. <laughs> you do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Where there's something yeah. you want to talk about, but then you're like, I don't remember. Yeah. Because mm. uh, there was that, and then there was the Alex Morse uh, thing, which was, I, I, it was just like a, a, a Massachusetts House primary. Oh. That was, okay. But it, 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 the, the, it's, it's in the past now, so. Okay. We have the fan going in here, so you might hear it. I don't think they will. I think they will. I don't think they're gonna. Okay, well, it's hot in here, so the fan is a-going. And -hmm. you're gonna deal with it, because you don't pay for this stuff. If you would like to not have the fan on, please send a self-addressed stamped envelope. (laughs) Sorry, that's really funny. Um, With it, and a cashier's check enclosed for the sum of... How much is it worth it? To not have the fan on while recording. You know, I don't know. Probably like $30. Oh my god. <laughs> no? Oh man. For We're like, going to charge them $30 for us not to have to pay yeah, more for, for the electricity bill. Yeah, for like one episode. <laughs> if you, I, I mean, if we're doing it for like one person, if one person wants to have that much control over how, how we record the episode, that's a steal. Okay, yeah, that's true. If one person has an issue, you can give us 30 bucks. Yeah. But we are not. We're not going to tell you if, if you another pay... person already sent us thirty dollars to do. Oh it. no, absolutely not. And like, uh, you know, if you guys paid us, we could live by ourselves, and then we wouldn't have to deal with uh, roommates making a lot of noise when we don't want them to. Um, <laughs> just to let you know, we got new roommates. It's not our old ones. Okay. Anyway. Um, Anyway, I cut my thumb today. <laughs> I cut my thumb. Uh, I f- was uh, unloading the dishwasher, and someone had put the silverware in, I don't know, in just one. So we have, like, little silverware dividers in the dishwasher, you know, where you put each individual yeah. piece of silverware. But then someone just put all the dirty silverware in just one little section mm-hmm. in a like a little cup in there you know mm-hmm. um so i was gonna i was going to take it out i thought it was all forks because all the silver i thought all the silverware was face down like or like the forks and stuff were Wait. all the forks and spoons were like face were down face, oh that's even weirder what yeah but then there was a big old sharp knife <laughs> right right there so i just Grabbed onto that glom of silverware, and uh, my thumb really uh, dug into that blade, I'll say. 
And I dropped all the silverware into the dishwasher and on the floor, and I ran. And I had pasta boiling, so I had to, like, quickly turn off the pasta because I was like, this is going to boil over. So my first thought was, Carly, turn off the pasta, then run so you don't ruin the pasta. (laughs) So that happened today. So now my finger really hurts. I'm sorry. Yeah. So that's what happened today. Mm Mm-hmm. Please send us money so we can get out of this situation. I beg of you. Because <laughs> I promise I did not load it in that way. And Harry can't because he's broken. So it's not mm-hmm. us. So I beg of you. <laughs> when people hear we have roommates, they're like, so you're a couple and you live with people? And I'm like, yeah. Sorry, it's expensive to live in Chicago, people. <laughs> Can't afford that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, anything exciting this week? Uh, I've just spent six like minutes this, complaining, but I think it's a pretty interesting thing. This past today, we went to a cat cafe. Yeah. That was that was the, that was the, that was the best. It was good. Um, I got to snuggle some kitties. Yeah. It was our anniversary on yeah. when. Yesterday. What day is today? Sunday, so, so Saturday. it's Saturday. And we worked all day because we don't usually celebrate anything. We'll go out to eat sometimes, but... Yeah, we'll remember like a few days later and be like, oh, we started dating yeah, six that, years ago yeah, yesterday. Yeah, every year. Last week. So this year I reserved an hour at a cat cafe. Um, We didn't need anything. We just hung we out with, with kittens. cats and there was like one other person in there. And it was chill. I stayed very far away from everyone else, and I pet some cats, so... It was good. I liked it. Yeah, it was fun. I, uh, yeah, I don't encourage going out. Um, <laughs> yeah, it oh. was probably a regrettable decision. Um, but, you, whatever. I paid for an hour of it, uh... And it, there was, like, one other person in there. And cats need love, too. So I'm just going <laughs> to... What? You're, right, you're just a real negative Nelly this episode. What? No, I don't... I'm just saying. Should have stayed inside. Should have stayed, yeah, at home and inside. inside. But also, I'm at work every day interacting with thousands of... Literally thousands of people. Because we take in, like, thousands of people at mm-hmm. work. Yeah. Um... So I'm way more unsafe there. Right. I hope well, I didn't you know, cats. you got to go out and like spread those germs around to other people so they don't all concentrate on you. <laughs> Stop. Um, yeah. We stay inside other than going to work, though. So it sucks. Um, yeah. I wanna... I'm going mad. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm sorry. For many reasons. <laughs> just so negative sorry i took a nap today um at like six o'clock and i woke up at like eight mm-hmm. i could have slept longer but i was awoken awoken yeah I by think. others in the apartment <laughs> um if you dm me you'll get more details about that um anyway what are we talking about this week? Do you want to get started or do you want to sure. talk more no, about I random mean, stuff? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. Um, I don't know. No, yeah, let's let's get started. Has anything interesting happened this week that they want to know about? Uh, 
I I forget everything that happened during the week by today. Um, There was the big boat parade for the big Trump boat parade on Lake Travis, New Jersey. I don't know what state it was. And like four boats sank. Good. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. That is good. You know what I want to do? By, um, there's like in Lincoln Park in Chicago, there's a little long skinny lake thingy and people like stand on little like surfboard boat type yeah. thingies. Paddle boards. Paddle boards and they paddle. Yeah. And I really want to do that. It looks fun. But also I don't have the equipment to do it myself and I don't want to rent equipment that other people have used. And also yeah. I just like. People have, knowing that people have died and drowned in that little lake many times, actually, I'll say. Many well, times. I mean, a body found was found bodies. there. No, one time at work, someone well, jumped yeah. in for their dog. Oh, yeah, I know. And then I remember the family came in and was like, I need a parking pass. They found my son. And I was like, uh, I don't know what to do for you. But there was like. There was, like, the search party there and stuff. But, yeah, they found bodies. No, because one of our supervisors saw it, found, looked at it. Well, yeah. One looked of at the, the body. One of the, like, one of the body was parts. Like it was a trash bag. It was, like, a leg. So, yeah. And it, yeah. And then there was, like, a mob-related, <sighs> like, body thing. Mm-hmm. And many people have drowned in, when the current in there is really bad. Or is there a current in that thing? I thought yeah. it was just a... I mean, yeah. ...little... Yeah. Lagoon. Is it a lagoon? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I just don't... And I pe- see people, like, doing the paddle thingies without life jackets, and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Do you not know people drown in there all the time? <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> people drown in the bathtub all the time. Okay. Well, that lagoon has nothing to do with where we work. I'm not going to mention where we work. You probably know by now, but (laughs) it has nothing to do. We are not, we don't own that lagoon. It is like the park district or something. So Mm -hmm. everyone assumes that a dead body was found at our workplace. And I'm like, no, I mean, across, you can see where it was, but it's not (laughs) ours. Then everyone's like, you need to put signs there about how dangerous it is to be in there. And I'm like, again... We can't put signs there. It's not ours. But okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll pass that along to the park district. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Anyway, complaining about work. Not what you want to hear. <laughs> uh, I need a new job. Oh I, the thing is, I like my job. Okay. Right now, I don't like my job because I have to interact with a billion people every day. And it's unsafe to me and many people. Mm-hmm. There's our place of our workplace is not an essential place at all, and people should That's not true. be there, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I shouldn't have to be there, but the government isn't paying me to stay home, so I have to be there. Yeah, I know, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and because of that, the people with the you know the people who are paid the least and are you know compensated the least for you know being in danger and stuff are put in the most immediate danger. In a, yep. basically every uh, situation. And all the essential workers who are, like, at work, and us, we're not essential workers, but we're working. Um, <laughs> I don't know, all the people working right now, like, actually in, not, like, working from their home, like, on, at their desk, are, like, young people. So next time, are usually, like, 18 to, like, 30 years old. 
So, like, mm-hmm. next time you hear people saying that young people are getting sick at a faster rate or whatever because we're going out all the time, I mean, maybe some. But also you have to think about most of us young people are the people mm-hmm. at work interacting with the people who don't want to wear masks yeah. all day. So mm-hmm. yeah. just think about that next time <laughs> uh, you want to say that yeah. it's young people <laughs> are the ones going out and partying and getting sick and that's why they're getting sick. No, mm. it's because you sent us all back to work. Yeah. <laughs> Saying. I know. And back to school and, and stuff. And back to school and and then, you know. And then kicking people out for not following the ever changing guidelines that change literally every day. Um, yeah, I mean, and <laughs> I mean, and how can you like, you know, how can you expect students at like a university to take seriously um, the university's warnings about you know the coronavirus when they're you know making it impossible for people to um you know take precautions for from the coronavirus Uh, yeah i mean if the universities and the government isn't going to take it seriously and they're going to send thousands of kids back to school you are sending a message that it doesn't really it's not that bad yeah you know yeah so if you're sending the message that it's not that bad and everything is fine what do you think these kids are going to do yeah like i'm just saying yeah no you can't judge like I mean, I, I judge them if they're having parties with a bunch of people. Sure, yeah. But also, I mean, I'm just saying, if you I mean, and you should also be yeah, equally exactly. critical of, you know, equally the people critical, who are, at want least, to put them in... Of the people who in, want to send them back to school. Put them in a classroom with 40 people. Yeah. Rather, rather than a party with 40 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just could think <laughs> about that next time. I don't know if any of our listeners are judging... Oh. Young I, kids, yeah, I, but I bet there's some. I mean, I think it's it's just a good blanket rule um, to quote Michael Brooks to uh, be what was what's the phrase? But you know, be like uh, be forgiving with individuals and be like, like ruthless with institutions. Basically, mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing, I think, but you know, no, it's true. Yeah, like, be I, generous with individuals and yeah, be unforgiving got, with institutions, something yeah. like that. I just got really mad. About the universities kicking people out because I'm like, you are sending a message that you don't that you don't think it's a big deal by sending kids back to school just to get their money. Right. Well, we and and we all know that yeah, the only reason they're have they're starting the semester with in person classes is to take get people's tuition money and before the drop date and stuff and then not. And then add a little disclaimer in all the contracts you signed for housing and stuff saying that they're not going to refund you this year if we close due to COVID-19 and then steal all your money. Yeah. Yeah. Some schools are like, isn't U of I doing that thing where if you don't come back to the to mm-hmm. U of I that school that year and you decide to take like classes at a community college instead of coming back because, you know. That's mm-hmm. a logical enough, like right. financially stable decision, financially mm-hmm. decent decision, and uh, uh, that the schools won't, like won't ex- U of I, won't accept those credits that you took at the. Yeah, they won't accept those as transfer transfer credits. Yeah, they if won't. you're if you're admitted to the school for the fall semester, and you decide not to go and instead take a, classes elsewhere, yeah, you can't transfer those credits. 
instead you have to pay how much is the U of I? A lot. (laughs) A lot of money. Um, Yeah. But I don't have to start paying my student loans. They extended the loan uh, repay Mm -hmm. date. Uh, I was supposed to start paying them uh, maybe six months after I graduated. So like July. July. But like a few weeks before I had to start paying them, they like extended it a couple months and stopped putting interest, stopped the interest on it. Mm -hmm. And then they just extended it again to the end of December. So I have successfully avoided making a student loan payment for one whole year when it's supposed to be six months. Yeah. Hell yeah. It's good. (laughs) That's the stuff. It's the good stuff, man. So right now I'm buying stupid things with the paychecks I'm getting instead of saving it for my loans. But I'm gonna I'm gonna cross that bridge when I get to it. Burn that bridge when I get to it. Really, uh, <laughs> I don't want to think about it. I'm just gonna think, what if I never pay them and then my credit just sinks? But I stay in the same place for the rest of my life, so I never have to get a new apartment. Yeah. I never have to get a car. I don't want one. <laughs> you need a credit score for that, right? Yeah. I don't have to do anything that involves a credit score, and I'll just <laughs> never pay my student loans back. Sure. Just kidding. One of them is in my dad's name, so I have to pay that one. Because if it's in his name, but I'm paying it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... <laughs> so I have to pay that one, because well, yeah. and they can like, not good. But, like, you know... Shh. They can, like, garnish your wages and stuff. I don't need to hear that. (laughs) I know there's plenty of other consequences that I don't want to talk about (laughs) and that I will figure out when I get to it. Okay. But I know right now I can't afford to pay those things. So if I can't, I'm just not because I can't do it. That's reasonable. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Who expects a 17-year-old person to make good financial decisions? Oop. My water bottle. Just saying. Yeah. Don't expect them start at community college kids please yeah i think about that all the time but then i realized we wouldn't have started dating if i went to a community college first that's right that's true because we would not have been in chicago at the same time it's true yeah so So i could have been financially stable or with you i I guess i would go back no i'm kidding Well, you're not you're not going to get financial stability from me. So. No, that's why I'm saying yeah, I could I have been more financially stable. I know. I mean, I still would have had to take out a buttload to transfer somewhere, but I would have saved two years of. It's true. My mental health wouldn't have survived those two years, though. I'll say, if I stayed home. Um. Okay, we're 20 minutes in. We got to go. <laughs> yeah, I know. So. Maybe we'll put in the description this week when to just start the actual <laughs> stories because there was nothing of use in this first 20 minutes. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going first this week. Yay. First. First is the worst. Second is the best. Third is the one with the... Hairy chest. Uh, okay. Polka dotted dress. Polka-dotted Treasure dress. chest. But yeah. you have a hairy chest, so I I'm going to go hairy chest, and but you're going to go second. third. Oh, I'm going, who's going second? Well, see our talk back at the beginning. That was... Talk back. Okay. Our, our banter. That was first. That was first. I'm second, because I'm the best, and I'm, you're third. I'm third. So you're the one with, with the, the hairy, hairy chest. With the hairy, hairy chest. You have no treasure chest. Not that I know of. 
Harry. What? What was that? Nothing. What did you do? Nothing. Harry. Nothing. Tell the audience what you just I did. I didn't do anything. Why would you do that? I didn't do anything. You're disgusting. Okay. Anyway, I am doing the story of Annabelle the doll this week. Do you know anything about Annabelle? I've heard of it. Yeah. See, I thought I had done it. I, my, I think I watched I a video with you on it once. could have. Yeah, you definitely have. Um, but no, I did the little sailor boy. Robert. Robert, Robert the, the doll. doll. Is this his, is this his girlfriend? This is Annabelle. <laughs> yeah, I always think about them in the same like context. I should so, make yeah. a movie like that. Aww. They're, they're like, you know, like... Uh, hey, boyfriend, girlfriend. What's the... Bride of Frankenstein. That's what I was thinking of. Like a, yeah, they should make like a Bride of Franken, like a hu- husband of Annabelle movie because they made an Annabelle movie, right? Yeah, they did. Yeah, make a husband of Annabelle movie where she gets married to Robert the Doll. Oh my God, that's funny. Yeah. Um. Ooh, you know what? I never saved this before I started recording it. Okay. Should I do that? Might be a good idea. All right, hang on, folks. We're gonna stop it for a second. What? Nothing. They need to hear every step of the way. I know. All right, we're back. Okay. I, I saved it before we got going. All right. Okay. All right, so Annabelle the doll. Are you ready Annabelle for it? Annabelle the doll. All right. Um, so do you know, so did I ask you this? Do you know anything about Annabelle? It's a doll. Yeah. Anyway, I'll start. Um, so the Annabelle doll had been a gift to a young nurse named... So Annabelle was a Raggedy Ann doll. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I wasn't. I didn't want to say everything that I knew because I didn't want to spoil stuff. No, she's a Raggedy Ann doll. So Annabelle had been a gift to a young nurse named Donna. Uh, her mom gave it to her for a gift for her 28th birthday, which some people think that's weird, but, like, who cares if a 28-year-old girl wants a Raggedy Ann doll? Yeah. Raggedy Ann dolls were, like, popular back then like why 28's not that old mm-hmm. and who cares what like if someone wants a popular doll it was like a big doll it wasn't like she was playing with a barbie and even if so who cares yeah people are like what 28 year old girl wants a doll okay i have stuffed animals that i'll probably keep till i die so yeah why don't, people, don't judge her i'm not judging her i don't either i'm not judging what's her name i don't know donna i'm not judging donna donna I don't care. Because it was back in like 1970 or something. Mm-hmm. And the, they were really popular then. Yeah, I don't know. It's like me wanting, um, I don't know, no dolls are really that. Like an American Girl doll or something. Are American Girl dolls still cool? I never had one as a kid. I Maybe I want to buy myself one now. I don't hear but about it. But if they came out with like a, I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah. It's, it's not that gift. weird. Yeah, it's cute. I think it's, of course a mom would get her 28, like maybe it was just like, look at this doll. It made me think of you. You know, my mom would do that. <laughs> I know she, she would. She would absolutely <laughs> buy me a doll as like a gift for my 28th birthday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, Donna apparently thrilled with the gift. I don't know. Some people said she really liked dolls. Okay. I'm sure she reasonable. was thrilled with the gift. I don't know. People like dolls. Brought it back to her apartment to her apartment that she shared with another young nurse named Angie. Mm-hmm. I've heard many stories, like some people say she's a college student, some people say she's a student nurse, and then other stories say she's just a nurse, and okay. she lives with another nurse. So I'm going to go with she's a nurse since she's 28. Okay. Because I've only ever heard that she's 28. Okay. She could be a student nurse. She could be an older nurse. 
but uh, student nurse. Anyway, at first the doll was a cute accessory to their apartment, but before long, the two women began to notice that Annabelle seemed to move about the room on her own, Uh-oh. or move about the apartment, really, on oh, her own. Not yeah. Just the room. Yeah. Okay. Donna would sit her on the living room sofa before leaving for work, only to come home in the afternoon and find her in the bedroom with the door shut. Oh. Okay, I was thinking about that, though, and if I was, like, six and mm-hmm. this happened, I would be so happy because sometimes I would just sit in my bed and cry. Yes, I would <laughs> sit in my bed as, like, a six- or seven-year-old girl uh-huh. and cry looking at my dolls and stuffed animals because I just so badly wanted them to be real like in Toy Story. I wanted them to move. I wanted to walk into the room and catch them. I would like sometimes just like pop my head into the bedroom Uh to see if I could just catch them in the act of moving. Uh And sometimes I was so sad because they would just be in the exact same position and I was like, there's no way they could be real when I'm not home. And I would just cry for like hours because my dolls weren't real. That's very sad. (laughs) sad. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh. I wish they should have sent me to therapy. I feel sad now. <laughs> it's a pathetic story. Anyway, so I'm just saying I would have been really happy. But now I'd be really freaked out. Really you would just think I was messing with you. I know. I'd be like, stop messing with me. Anyway, um... So Donna and Angie then started finding um, notes uh, left uh, shoot, left throughout the apartment reading, help me or help us, on uh, little pieces of parchment paper. Mm-hmm. They would just, like, find them on the floor. <laughs> and the women said, we don't have parchment paper. Who the heck has parchment paper? Okay. We have no parchment paper in our apartment. Yeah. Where is this coming from? Um creepy i'd be like who is coming into my apartment i would think like the landlord or someone in the building was coming in like a maintenance person coming in and messing with my stuff Mm because there are like horror stories of like maintenance people Mm -hmm. in the buildings like just chilling in your apartment when you're gone and stuff oh god i hope that never happens (laughs) that's why i would never want to live like alone Because if you have, like, a three-bedroom apartment, odds are someone's home at all times, you know? It's true. And they probably know that, you know? Mm -hmm. If you live in, like, a studio apartment by yourself, they might hear you when you leave. Yeah. You know? Um, Anyway, that's creepy. What if you just found help me or help us notes and (laughs) parchment paper all over the floor? Yeah, I wouldn't like finding I wouldn't like that. Mm Mm-mm. After this, Angie invited a medium over to help solve their seemingly paranormal problem. <laughs> okay, first call the someone. Co- t- contact the landlord. Be like, yeah. hey, is someone coming into my apartment? Like, yeah. place some cameras around? Maybe it's the 70s. I don't know if they had cameras yet for, like, apartments. Not, but, like, but, like... I, I don't think a medium would be my first call. No, I'd probably call someone first. I guess the police in the 70s, if I was back in the 70s, maybe the police. Sure. I don't know what they would do for me. Nothing. But I'm trying to think. I would find some resource that would help me with this other than a medium first. Yeah, definitely. Um, have, have a friend just spend the day in your apartment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. <laughs> That'd be a good idea. What happens, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so the medium held a seance and told the woman that the doll was inhabited by a spirit of a deceased seven-year-old named Annabelle Higgins, mm-hmm. whose body had been found years earlier on the site where their apartment building had been built. Mm-hmm. So she told them that their apartment building was built on top of, like, an empty, like, open field uh-huh. that a little girl had, like, died in, like a okay. seven-year-old. And now the spirit was, like, inhabiting the doll. Interesting. And her name was Annabelle Higgins. So Annabelle, they would call the doll, uh-huh. and it just stuck. Interesting. Did Was that true? Did someone die on the field where the apartment building was built? Don't know. Okay. I don't think that story is real. I don't know. Okay. I don't know how they would research it. Go to a library? <laughs> they don't have the internet. Anyway, the medium claimed that the spirit was benevolent and simply wanted to be loved and cared for. Why is she leaving parchment paper that says help me on it? Yeah. I'll just say that. Is that a fun joke? It's a little creepy, Annabelle. Yeah. I don't don't trust this medium. Me either. I I really don't trust her either. The two young nurses reportedly felt bad for the spirit and consented to allow her to take up permanent residence in the doll. That's what it wants. Yeah. Yeah. They even bought her a little bracelet that said, like, love on it or something like that. And the Uh bracelet's still on the doll. They, like, brought her a little bracelet Uh and, like, would, like, bring her to the kitchen table with them or, like, dining room table to eat with them. They, like, hung out with the doll and they, like, bought a bracelet and they felt really bad for it. So they were like, oh, yeah, just you can stay in the doll and just hang out with us all the time. Which is, like, super creepy. But love spelled backwards, if you listen to Eminem, is evil. 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 So maybe, Shit. yeah. You're right, though. If you, Depending on what way you look at it, that was a bad call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Angie's boyfriend, known as Lou. Lou. Known as. Known Sefer? only as Lou. What? Lucifer? No. Sh- Lou was in the apartment one afternoon while Donna was out and heard rustling in her room as someone had broken in. As if someone had broken in. Upon inspection, he found no sign of forced entry, but found the Annabelle doll lying face down on the ground, which she was originally in the chair. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's another story where he was sleeping on the couch. So in this article, I got most of the information actually from a YouTube video that the guy who owns the doll now, it was like... I think in the end I say what his relation is to Ed and Lorraine, who Warren, who had the doll. Um, the guy, they like in his, in their will gifted it to like family members or something, in-laws maybe. Uh-huh. So the guy has like a YouTube channel now that's like Ed and Lorraine official YouTube channel is like what it's called because <laughs> he's like this old guy. Okay. And he like just sits in his like living room and he put keeps like a microphone kind of up to his mouth uh-huh. and he just like talks about stuff <laughs> and so he was talking about annabelle That's... he told this story okay. so i got most of it from that it was like a 30 minute video of him okay, and then i got stuff from all that's interesting i think it's called.com and in this article they like combined the two stories but the guy who owns the doll now who knew ed and lorraine says they were separate so i'm gonna go with they were separate incidents so that happened and then lou was on the couch and he fell asleep he took a nap and then um he was awoken by a paralysis like state or Mm -hmm. either like a nightmare or he had like a paralysis type thing happening is that what it's called 
sleep paralysis. Sleep, sleep paralysis, yeah. Um, but it was either a nightmare or like sleep anyway of the doll like crawling up his body annabelle crawling up his body and then uh choking him oh no with his little doll Aww. with her little doll arms how, just how, could a- you do that? <laughs> <laughs> how, how would that even work <laughs> It's not even a plastic doll. It's like a stuffed fabric yeah, doll. Yeah, I mean, if she's how how big is the doll? She's like two two feet tall. Yeah, she's like two feet tall. It's just little fabric hands, so like pressing little, on the sides of his little neck. Teeny little fabric nubs. <laughs> little ball hands. They're like little balls. They don't even have like fingers or anything. It's a really funny image to me. It's very yeah. I would laugh. I would wake up and laugh if I had a. Dream that the be, doll choked me. I would definitely be t- for, uh, scared during the dream, but a minute oh, after sure. I woke up, I would be find it very funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so good. It's such good stuff. Okay, anyway, suddenly, right after that happened, um, uh-huh. it was either right after... So the accounts of it are... There was lots of variations okay. of the story, I'll say. Mm-hmm. It was either after the dream... When he went to check on the doll or after the after he went and checked on the doll and it was on the floor, he said something mean to the doll, like, you're just an old Raggedy Ann doll or something like that. Like, <laughs> you can't hurt me. And then he felt a searing pain on his chest and looked down to find bloody claw marks running across it. Oh. And then he was wearing a white T-shirt, of course, and so blood was just, like, seeping through the shirt. <laughs> Um, uh-huh. And then two days later, they had vanished without a trace. Ooh. But they were like huge claw marks on his chest. So then they thought, you know, this probably isn't a seven-year-old little girl yeah, medium in was, my doll. A medium was full of shit. Yeah. Yeah, she was. So eventually, in an attempt to rid their home of the Annabelle doll's spirit, Donna and Angie called on an ep- Episcopal... Ep- priest known as father hagen hagen contacted his superior father cook who alerted ed and lorraine warren so according to wikipedia this is who ed and lorraine warren were but most people know who they are we've we've talked about them before we have but i'm gonna give a brief them with chris garcia yeah yeah but i'm gonna just give a little brief rundown Mm -hmm. of who they were according to wikipedia so people know Ed and Lorraine were American paranormal investigators and authors associated with prominent cases of hauntings. Mm. Edward was a self-taught and self-possessed demonologist. Self-professed. Self-professed, not (laughs) self-possessed. Demonologist. Also an author and lecturer. Lorraine professed to be a clairvoyant and a light trance medium who worked closely with her husband. Mm -hmm. In 1952, the Warrens founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, N-E-S-P-R, NESPR, I'm going to say, the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. They authored many books about the paranormal and about their private investigations into various reports of paranormal activity. Mm -hmm. They claim to have investigated over 10,000 cases during their career. The Warrens were among the first investigators in the so-called Amityville and Amityville haunting. Stories of the ghost hauntings popularized by the Warrens have been adapted or have indirectly inspired dozens of film, films, television series, and documentaries, including 17 films in the Am- Amityville horror series, 
and seven films in the Conjuring universe. Skeptics, uh, uh, skeptics. skeptics Perry DeAngelis and Stephen Novella have investigated the Warrens' evidence and described it as blarney. <laughs> Skeptical inv- investigators Joe Nickel and Benjamin Radford concluded that the better-known hauntings, Amityville and the Snedeker family haunting, did not happen and had been invented, which most um, most skeptics say all their stories were invented, that they told the stories. Yeah. Um, which you, any skeptic would say, I'll say. Uh, Chris said something about how they were... They could have fabricated some of it because it was like their job or whatever, right? But like some, they were genuine about some of it yeah, as well. Yeah, I don't well. remember what he said. What did he say about them? It was a long time ago. But <laughs> I feel like he was like, oh, there was some some weird stuff, obviously, because, you know, they, but some parts of, the, like, some of it was gen- Anyway, because he, like, <laughs> knew them, so, or mm-hmm. knew Lorraine, I believe. Ed died in, like... 2006 or something mm-hmm. I guess he could have known him anyway as far as Ed and Lorraine Warren were concerned so that's as much of them okay, going about, in depth about with the Warrens them. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah um so yeah they did a bunch of so if you've ever seen any of those movies or know anything about those hauntings they were the investigators on the case famous ghost haunting demon people yeah you've probably heard of a case that they have worked at least as far as Ed and Lorraine Warren were concerned the two young ladies Ladies' trouble truly started when they began believing that the doll deserved their sympathy. You were right. You're like, that was not a good idea. The Warrens believed that there was actually a demonic force in search of a human host within Annabelle and not a benevolent soul. The Warrens' account of the case states, quote, Spirits do not possess inanimate objects like houses or toys. They possess people. An inhuman uh, spirit can attach itself to a place or object uh, and this is what occurred in the Annabelle case. This spirit manipulated the doll and created the illusion of it being alive in order to get recognition. Truly, the spirit was not looking to stay attached to the doll. It was looking to possess a human host. And okay. They say that they were about two weeks away from possessing either... Uh, how, how did they figure one that? One of the three people. I don't know, because of the stages they were in. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Immediately, the Warrens noted what they believed were signs of demonic possession, including teleportation, the doll moving on its own, materialization, the parchment paper notes, and the mark of the beast, Lou's clawed chest. The Warrens subsequently ordered an exorcism of the apartment to be performed by Father Cook. Then they took Annabelle out of the apartment and to her final resting place in their occult museum in the hopes that her demonic reign would finally end. Uh, so following, so they had an occult museum. Right. So they take all the... And they take, like, haunted artifacts and yeah. stuff and put it and in there and lock them. in one place. But it was originally not, like, it was just their basement that they right. just kind of locked. It was the basement of, like, their house that they locked all this stuff up mm-hmm. in. So we get all the demons in one place so they can yeah. uh, join together and form a union and, like, become more powerful <laughs> than ever. Sure. <laughs> yes. They formed a union. Anyway... Following Annabelle's removal from Donna and Angie's apartment, the Warrens documented several other paranormal experiences involving the doll. The first just minutes after they took possession of her. After the exorcism, 
the, of the nurse's apartment, the Warrens buckled Annabelle into the back seat of their car and vowed not to take the highway in case she had some kind of accident-causing power over them in their vehicle. Okay. However, even the safer back roads proved too risky for the couple. On their way home, Lauren, Lorraine claimed that the brakes either stalled or failed several times, resulting in near-disastrous crashes. Oh, no. Lorraine claimed that as soon as Ed pulled... Ho- pulled holy water from his bag and doused the doll with it the problem with the brakes disappeared (laughs) it's really funny these are just crazy people maybe not okay i i i also i like thinking about the doll annabelle (laughs) succeeding with her like uh, crashing the car and then her getting loose and so then there's just a doll walking around in the woods by itself (laughs) it'd be so cute so freaking cute i know honestly anyway its face doesn't change expression does it no just smiles like a cute little doll face on it yeah little raggedy and doll. like if you don't know that it's possessed and uh, there's a demon attached to it because a doll can't be possessed I, uh, if you don't know that, then it's kind of it's, it's, it's cute. a cute little doll walking around the woods. Yeah, it'd be so cute. It's <laughs> creepy as heck, but cute, honestly. Yeah. Upon arriving home, Ed and Lorraine placed the doll in Ed's study. There, they reported that the doll levitated and moved about the house, even when placed in the locked office in an outer in an outer building. The Warrens claimed that she would turn up later inside the house. Well, duh. Yeah. They were doing that before. Maybe. Yeah. Why would you? D- okay. What? <laughs> also, how do you know that that's the that's that's the Annabelle demon and not one of the other demons you got locked in your basement moving the doll around True. and stuff? Yeah. Finally, the Warrens decided to lock Annabelle up for good. The Warrens had a specially made glass and wood case constructed, upon which they inscribed the Lord's Prayer and Saint Michael's Prayer. For the rest of his life, Ed would periodically say a binding prayer over the case, ensuring that the sinister spirit and the doll remained good and trapped. In one of the videos I watched, they said the the, the wood was, like, soaked in holy water before it was put together. <laughs> uh, since being locked up, Annabelle, the doll, hasn't moved again, though it is alleged that her spirit has found ways to reach out to the earthly plane. <laughs> Once... A priest who was visiting the Warrens Museum picked up Annabelle and threw her across the room because he said he came over. He wanted to show them. He was he called them up because they were really good friends with like the Uh priests in the area pretty much. Um, And they so, you know, the priest called up Lorraine and and Ed and Mm -hmm. they were he was like, hey, I want to show you my new car. Can I come over? They were like friends. They're like, I bought Uh this new car. Yeah. Can I come over and show you my new car? Mm -hmm. They were like, sure. So he came over with his new car Mm -hmm. and then he's like, hey, can I see that doll that everyone's been talking about that apparently has special powers? (laughs) Ed, dumbass, was like, sure, I'll take you down to the basement and show you the doll. Show you my doll. Um, So then the priest like a jerk, just picks up the doll. At the time, it wasn't in a case yet. It was just on a chair in the corner, and it had little, like, caution tape around it. <laughs> like, that's going to stop that's anyone. So funny. I know. What? Oh, God. Okay. So the priest picks up the doll and, like, throws it across the room, which, rude, not his property. Let me just say, that's true. not his property. And, um... 
was like, oh, uh, God is more powerful than any demon in this doll, you know? Yeah. And then uh, Ed warned the priest about mocking Annabelle's demonic power, but the priest laughed him off, but also was like, oh, well, he, God is more powerful than any demon, blah, blah, blah. Right. And then Ed was like, yeah, but you aren't more powerful than the <laughs> demon. God may be more powerful, but you aren't, so stop. Like, don't do that. <laughs> Which... True. You're right. Not more powerful than me. And that's when he, like, pulled out his nunchucks. Nunchucks? Started twirling them around. (laughs) (laughs) So on his way home, the priest was involved in a near-fatal crash that totaled his new car. Oh, no. He claimed to have seen Annabelle in his rearview mirror just before the accident. Or that's when Lorraine went and... Cut his brake lines before he left. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. Uh, I'm there throw was... my doll around. I'll show you. Mm-hmm. Also, I didn't write Who's this more in. Powerful than God. Shh. I am. Anyway, I didn't write this in the story, but it was in the dude's story that I watched on YouTube, mm-hmm. and he said that uh, like a detective, like cop, came over mm-hmm. to talk to Ed and Lorraine about a case they were helping him out with Mm -hmm. and he's like hey can i uh, see that doll that everyone's been talking about because everyone just wants to come over and see this dang doll (laughs) so he's like and ed again was like sure (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so they went to the basement and he's like whatever you do don't touch the doll like don't touch anything in here but especially not the doll okay and the cop is like okay and then ed goes oh wait there's a phone call happening upstairs i gotta go take it stay down here but again don't touch the doll. But you can stay down here. I trust you. <laughs> and He's then, just setting them up. I know. And then uh, he, Ed was on the phone, and he hears, like, a crash in the basement. And then he sees, he he runs down, and Annabelle is on the floor. And the, the cop is, like, stumbling around, white as a ghost. And they said it looked like he was about to have a heart, that like he was having a heart attack. And so they were, he's like, I'm going to call the ambulance right now and then he goes no it's fine and then he walked back upstairs and then they're like what happened down there and he the cop points to Lorraine and was like I I will only tell her (laughs) which is creepy as heck so they went into a separate room and he like told her what happened and Lorraine never told Ed the story because he said it's between you and I but Ed was like I know what happened he touched the doll (laughs) and I'm like yeah, yeah, Could yeah. Be. So they say he touched the doll. Yeah. He probably touched the doll. They told him not to. Yeah, well, you, you know he wanted him to touch the doll. But honestly, I'm like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know he, he wanted was, him to. He was giving him signals. Yeah, exactly. Um, so years later, another visitor on the, so a long time later after the, uh, doll was in the box finally Got these it. other two they weren't in the box okay so they, they finally made the box and put the doll in the box and then it was more of like a museum so they would like give tours to people more of more than 10 people and like talk about each thing mm-hmm. and so one of the visitors and his girlfriend um mainly just the guy he uh was like banging on the glass like after <laughs> he was like don't mess with this doll and he starts like banging on the glass making saying like you guys are fool like this bull like why are you 
he's like tapping on it. It's like, do something to me right now. Put claw marks in me, you know, uh-huh. and he's telling him the story about yeah. the claw marks and stuff. And he's like, this is bull you, that you guys are believing in this and just starts like hitting the box. And then Ed is like, you need to leave now. Mm-hmm. So him and his girlfriend leave. And um, on his way home, he reportedly lost control of his motorcycle and crashed headlong into a tree. Um, He was killed instantly, and his girlfriend just barely survived. Mm -hmm. Um, She was in the hospital for like a year. Mm -hmm. And she claimed that at the time of the accident, the couple had been laughing about how ridiculous Annabelle the doll and the story was. Mm -hmm. And then they went off the road and ran into a tree. Don't laugh on a motorcycle. Or that's why you don't let the Warrens mess with your brake lines again. That's true. The names of the young priest and the motorcyclists were never divulged. Neither Donna nor Angie, the two nurses who were Annabelle's first victims, first victims never came forward with their story. Only Ed and Lorraine. Oh, okay. So it's just... (laughs) Neither Father Cook nor Father Hagen appeared to have mentioned their exorcisms of her ever again. Though Ed and Lorraine Warren have both died, their legacy has been carried on by their daughter Judy and her husband Tony Spera. I think that's who owns it, Judy and Tony. Okay. Until his death in 2006, Ed Warren considered Spera his demonology protege and entrusted him with continuing his work, with, with, which included caring for his occult artifacts. So yeah, he's the one who has the YouTube channel. Okay, yeah, so this is all just... Those artifacts include the Annabelle's, Annabelle doll and her protective case. Echoing the warnings of the predecessors, Spara cautions visitors of the Warrens' occult museum about Annabelle's powers. That's it. That's it. That's the yeah, story. Sounds like, sounds like a lot of blarney to me. Really? I mean, yeah. No, none of the people in the story have ever, like, ever, like, come forward and, like, corroborated it in any way. We're just going off with Ed and Lorraine. People already think they make up all these stories. Yeah. Like, all their stories. I mean, this one is, seems more, no? You don't think so? I believe it. (laughs) There's no evidence. Of course I believe it. Do I ever right. believe cases that have real evidence? No. No. You're right. No, I believe cases with evidence and without evidence. I'm gullible. <laughs> anyway, it's your turn now. All right. I'll go. <laughs> Maybe. If my... Okay. Da, 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 da. Sorry, I'm drinking right. water. That's all right. Oh, That's should, all the squeaking should, noises. Yeah, whatever. I'll drink water Too bad. Yeah. Oh, well. All right. I'm ready All to right. hear it. So, last week, I talked about boats. Yeah. This week, I'm talking about trains. Choo-choo. If you saw Harry, he had his arms up in the air, as extended as he can. His elbows are broken. And he was like, last week I talked about boats. This week I'm talking about trains. And they were up above his head, as far as he could get them. Trains. Next week... Who knows? Hovercrafts? Planes, trains, automobiles. What's that? Uh, is <laughs> yeah, that planes, trains, and automobiles? That's a movie. Cool. Anyway, you can go. All right. Uh, mostly, uh, well, I don't know. I'm talking about Casey Jones. Do you know no, Casey Jones at all? No. No? No. The, the folk hero, train engineer person? I mean, maybe. You're like, I might. Uh, I don't know. 
was like train driver and he like stopped the train to kept it from killing everybody but he died no no the song song about him no the ballad of casey jones no Mm -mm. all right anyway is uh, this for labor day yeah it's i'm I'm talking about uh, it's yeah happy labor day everyone Happy Labor Day. You work on Labor Day. I do work on Labor Day. <laughs> I got the day off, surprisingly. It's like, I never good. get a day off. That lot of good the workers movement did for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so I'm talking about Casey Jones, and then I'm trying to... I'm talking about a couple other tangentially related things related to Casey Jones slash Labor Day. Okay. So I'm going to start... With, uh, the Pullman strike. Okay. Uh, so, have you ha- have you heard of um the neighborhood Pullman on the south side of Chicago? Um, uh, no. Okay, it exists. There's a neighborhood called Pullman on the south side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's named after this guy, uh, George Pullman, who who owned uh the Pullman Car Company that made train cars. Okay. Um, and he also built and owned the neighborhood, or the town that became the neighborhood of Pullman. Okay. Chicago. Um, so in 1880, hmm. he announced plans to build a new factory just outside of Chicago, and along with it, a, a fa- the factory town of Pullman, Illinois, where George Pullman would own, he owned every building in the town. Where's every, Pullman, Illinois? Is that Chicago? It's, that's, that's the neighborhood. It was a town first and then it was absorbed into the city of chicago oh okay later. i was like wait i'm yeah. confused okay mm-hmm. okay yeah. that makes sense so yeah he, the P- pullman and the pullman company owned every building in the town every utility every like social service um everyone like every business in the town and so everyone who worked at the factory was required to live in the town of pullman um and so you would like you'd go to work 16 hours a day for the pullman car company then go home to your apartment where you pay the money that you just earned at work back to the company for rent and then you'd pay you know your in your high like gas water sewer and like garbage correction collection bills back to the pullman company oh. you would go to the market and you know or the theater or whatever and pay back pay your wages back to the full pullman company for the food they give you oh my gosh um this is gross. Uh, you know, there was there was one place where you could buy or consume alcohol in the town, which was in like the the bar of the Florence Hotel. Who owned it? Pullman. Pullman. Fuck. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> um, god, this is messed there's up. There's no elected no elected mayor, just a town agent and a series who was appointed by Pullman? the company. Oh, yep. that was appointed by the company. This seems like a really is and this then, real? Is this a real yeah. story? Mm-hmm. This then, seems like this would be like a book about a, <laughs> what is it a dystopian mm-hmm. society yeah very you know what's funny we kind of live in a dystopian society was it on um the radio that yeah, wait, our wait. lift was uh, wait wait don't to? tell me wait wait don't tell me they were like isn't it kind of 2020 like we all thought we were going to be living in something they're They're like like, now we're living in a dystopian society and read like science science fiction books as a kid where like you would have like cool things like people go flying around on jetpacks and self-driving cars and then there were like the dystopian like hellscapes 
And we turns have both. Out, no, we get both. You get both. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. anyway. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, there was no elected mayor. Actually, to... sorry, that was my fault. Oh, no, it's fine. Uh, no, it was my fault. No I... elected mayor, just an agent appointed by yeah. the company of Pullman. Yeah, and then, you know, all the administrators under him also accompanied, appointed by the Pullman company. The only democratically elected positions in the town were the school board. <laughs> That's it. Well, um, at least the school board. Yeah, you know. It's good. Um, and so... That's so yeah. crazy, though. <laughs> so oh for several years, from like 1881... Did they all work at the Pullman Company part-time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm sure they had people staffing, like, like you know, like, the stuff in the town, but, you know, they were technically employed by the Pullman Company. Oh, my God. But okay. for several years, the town worked as intended. Pull, Pullman gave his workers a place to live. In exchange, he got to keep <laughs> all of their wages and have total control over every waking moment of their lives. So, uh... That's a nightmare. Move yeah. out of Pullman. Mm-hmm. Well, I, guess I mean, that's you where your job You lose your job. You, 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 ha you have to live is. there. And, you, know, you have to live there in if, order to work at Pullman? Yeah, to work at the Pullman Palace what? Factory That's or something. wacky. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you weren't allowed to, like, buy Commute. your own house and live somewhere <gasps> else. I'm, this is messed up. Yeah, it is. All right. But it's because... But we, we get to live this way because capitalism is the uh, best way and gives people the most freedom. <laughs> <laughs> um, this came to an end, though, in 1894. Um, an, okay. an economic recession hit, and in response to the Pullman... Oh, this was a long time ago. Yeah, 1894? 1894. Wow. Um, okay. So because of the recession, the Pullman Company laid off a bunch of employees and then reduced wages for all the people they kept by, like, 25%. Oh, my God. However, it kept rent and utility prices and all the other stuff in the town at the same price. So, <laughs> uh, how do they pay all their stuff then? They don't, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, what? Yeah. Eventually. How do they make other money? They don't. And now so they have gonna get evicted? nothing. They can't save any money, I guess. Okay. They can't. Um, how does that help them, though? If they're not giving them money to spend at their places, how is that helping well, them? Well, yeah. I mean, if, I'm, I assume before they had, they could save a little bit of money put it away and or you know send it to family somewhere else but now they keep no how is that helping the company then i guess they're making money off know, this mean, stuff too it's stuff people have to pay for so it's like no i know but if the workers and the people living in the places don't have enough money to pay for the stuff they have to how work is that more. helping them they have to you know they have to work more hours okay and, you know i mean also I guess. Oh, so you, yeah, because then you could just, they would, yeah, you could just you work, work a million hours. Eighteen hours a day now instead of sixteen. Oh my god! So you know, a delegation of workers eventually tried to take a list of grievances, including. This you know, is a real story. Yeah. Sorry, Low I keep wages. interrupting you, but I'm just baffled right yeah, now. Yeah, no, it was like. Did we learn this in school? No, I don't think so. Hot damn! All I knew is that we got Labor Day off. <laughs> no one knows what Labor Day is. Does this have to do with Labor Day? Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah, they went to Pullman with their list of grievances, poor living conditions, long hours, low wages, um, bad, you know, I don't know, that they don't like the, like, paternalistic nature of them, like, you know, watching over everything they do. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but he refused to meet with them. So on May 11th, 1894, um, 4,000 workers went on a wildcat strike. Cat uh, strike? Wildcat, a wildcat strike is like a strike that's like not officially like voted on by a union, basically. They didn't have unions. Yeah, they didn't then. have a union. I mean, they unions existed, but the they didn't have. There wasn't a union for the workers unions there. Unions existed in eighteen ninety <laughs> something. Yeah. Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, the workers at Pullman, they so the some of them were like sort of represented by the American Railway Union. Mm-hmm. Um, the workers there weren't technically like members of it, and they Pullman didn't recognize that union as you know having any you know authority there mm-hmm. <laughs> at all. Um, but the the American Railway Union uh, wanted to support them anyway. Um, so in June, the ARU workers decided that they would not handle any Pullman cars or trains with Pullman cars attached. So if the Pullman company built one of the train cars. In this train, these workers. If you're American, if you're an American railway union worker, you're not. You're gonna, not gonna use you're it. You're not gonna switch it. You're not gonna drive it. You're not gonna work on it at all. So unions that existed were like, nah, man. Yeah. That's sick. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, they because they wanted to, you know, even though they couldn't directly go to Pullman, they wanted to, you know, force the rail the railroads to, you know. Mm-hmm. Put pressure on the Pullman Company to compromise. Yeah. Um, so as many as two hundred fifty thousand workers in twenty-seven states participated in the boycott Whoa. and related strikes. Um, you know, like snarling up rail traffic all over the cool. West and the Midwest. That's cool. It is cool. Um, but the railroads had an ace up their sleeve, oh. or rather, a lawyer in the White House. Um. Uh, so attorney the general Pullman company um the or the railway union like the rail no the railroad industry basically oh okay um attorney general richard only had previously been a railroad attorney for like the an attorney for the railroad companies mm-hmm. and at the time he as he was serving as attorney general he was still being paid a $10,000 a year retainer in by, 1890 something mhm wow. yeah by the chicago burlington and quincy railroad um, How much is that nowadays? A lot, <laughs> like. Okay. <laughs> I, don't know. I know that's what but, I didn't so know like, if you looked. He was that being up paid a ten thousand. I didn't look it up specifically. He was paying being paid ten thousand a year by the railroad company, and he, for his his government salary as attorney general of the United States was eight thousand dollars a year. Oh my! So oh my you know, gosh. it's clear like, you know, what side his bread was buttered on. What? <laughs> Um, And so under the direction of President Grover Cleveland, um, only obtained an injunction declaring the ARU's involvement in the strike illegal. Um, What? And so federal troops were sent in to Chicago and other cities. And um, This all happened like in Chicago slash Illinois? uh, Chicago and a bunch of other states. I know, but like Pullman was in. Yeah, it was in Chicago. The the gross stuff was like in Chicago, Mm -hmm. Illinois. Yeah. Well, holy crap, why didn't we learn about this in school? We grew up in Illinois. I know. Like three hours away from here. <laughs> I know. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and so then for, you know, several days and weeks of riots and fighting in towns and railroad yards around the country, 
Um, more than 30 workers were killed and 57 wounded by U.S. Marshals, um, vigilante militias, and the military in the process of breaking up the strike. Sounds um. oddly familiar. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the strike ultimately failed. Um, they, you know, the government successfully, uh, you know, busted it on behalf of the railroad companies. Um, wow. All of the striking workers were allowed to return to work at the Pullman factory as long as they pledged never to form a union. Um, oh, <laughs> but anyways, the, the Pullman strike, you know, had brought, you know, class tensions nearly to the breaking point. So President Cleveland knew he needed to act fast to avert further tragedy. So he seized the moment to take big action. And six days after breaking the strike. Sick days? Six days? Six days okay. after breaking the strike. He signed a bill making Labor Day a federal holiday. Um, so partly as a conciliatory gesture to the unions. And partly to weaken the socialist movement by taking attention away from May 1st, uh, International Workers' Day. So, Wait, why so did he make Labor Day then? Because he wanted to look, make it look like he was like giving something to the unions in exchange. Like, we broke up your strike, so you have to keep, have to, have to keep living in this company town. Um, so we're going to give you And a we holiday? killed like 30 of you. And so, but yeah, now we have a day recognizing the wonderful labors. Labor wait, days. wait, I thought Labor Day was supposed to be a good thing. I mean, it's, it was like people had been like, unions and labor organizers had wanted there to be like a Labor Day before. Why um, the heck do I have to work on Labor Day every year? <laughs> this is my first like Labor Day off probably be, in years. Yeah, because it was a, years. a, 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 a holiday made with like, conservative intentions right anyway i thought labor day was a good thing <laughs> now i'm gonna think twice about <laughs> I that i mean you don't you don't work tomorrow i do yeah but this is my first labor day off probably since i was like 15 so because <laughs> i worked every holiday yeah at the I legion know. when i was 15 to like 18 and then i yeah mm -hmm. i always worked on labor day yeah anyway so that so that's why so that's so that's just a little bit about so, uh, uh, there was like an investigation later and in the year 1898 they had to the company had to like disinvest itself from the town and it was absorbed into the city of Chicago but um oh. you know it eventually ended but eventually, I mean eventually people were like yeah that's that's not Yeah cool. there was like you know after it ended and they you know killed all the people who were striking um, over it, they were like, um, you know, they were like, all right, we'll look into it now, I guess. And they were like, yeah, I guess this is bad. You gotta, <sighs> you gotta, you gotta become part of the real city and not force people to live here. <laughs> anyway. Does Pullman still exist, like the company? I don't think so. It existed into like the 1980s, I think. Whoa. There were still cars with the Pullman name on them You think being there's made. still cars with the Pullman name on it? Train cars? I don't know. I don't, they don't make Pullman cars anymore. Well, yeah, they don't make them but, anymore, but... I don't know. They, there are probably still are train cars around from the 80s. I don't know. In circulation somewhere. They were mostly yeah. passenger carriages. Um, so I wonder... Oh. I don't know if... Oh. Those are probably replaced more uh, frequently. Those are probably, I don't know. Yeah, those... Never mind. 
doubt Wouldn't it. Have, I bet oh. it's in a museum somewhere. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's that, that's that's why um, that's why I'm talking about Casey. That's why when I thought Labor Day, I thought railroads. And yeah. Why I thought railroads. I should talk about the most famous railroad man. I guess. I guess John Henry's probably more famous. Yeah, John Henry's. Way- I was yeah, well, like I thinking. About I was like, "Wait, are you talking about John Henry?" And I'm like, "No, he's not saying John Henry to me right now." No, Casey Jones. He was he, he was a ra- railroad engineer who famously sacrificed his life in a train crash to avert a far greater disaster. Wait, is that that thing where it's like, oh, if you could kill one, per- if you could turn right, kill one person or whatever, or turn no. them, kill everyone else in the train or something like that. The trolley problem. The trolley problem. No, that's I bet a that's where thing. it comes from, though. I don't think so. Yeah, I bet it does. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've okay. never heard of this story then. Okay. I'm thinking of the trolley problem. So uh, yeah, the no, yeah, Casey Jones. Yeah. He was like, uh, he's an engineer, and his train was coming. Uh, you know, real fast along, and then up ahead of him, there was another train just stopped on the tracks that he didn't know about, and so he had to, like, slam on his brakes and reverse the engine and stuff and use all of his engineering skills to keep his train full of passengers from, like, uh, slamming all of it into that train ahead and killing everybody. And instead, just, like, the engine went into it. He, like, stayed at his post when he could have, like, you know, jumped off or whatever as it's slowing down. He mm. stayed at his post and slowed it down. But anyway, I'll, I'll talk in more detail about what happened here. Okay. Was he real? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Real guy. Oh. Okay. Uh, Jonathan Luther Jones was born March 14th, 1863 in the town of Casey, Kentucky. Um, it was common for railroad workers with common uh, surnames to be known by their hometown. So John, That's why it's Casey Jones? Yeah, John Jones became Casey Jones. I like John Jones better. That's cool. <laughs> John Jones. Especially if it was J-O-N, J-O-N-E-S. <laughs> that would John be good. Jones. I doubt it was, <laughs> I don't but think that'd so, be funny. No. no, it was not. Uh, yeah, uh, in 1886, he married Mary Joanna Janie Brady, and they moved to Jackson, Tennessee. Janie was Catholic, uh, so to please her, he converted and was baptized as Catholic. Wowzers. Yeah, nice guy. Yeah, really. Um, so Casey worked his way up through the railroad ranks along a pretty standard path. He started out on the Mobile and Ohio Railroad, got promoted to brakeman, then fireman, and then in the summer of 1887, a yellow fever epidemic struck many train crews on the neighboring Illinois Central Railroad, uh, which meant an unexpected opportunity for quicker promotions um, <laughs> to, to engineer. Um, and so Casey switched to the IC Railroad, and three years later, he achieved his lifelong goal of becoming an engineer. Cute. Mm-hmm. He quickly made a name for himself, insisting with his insistence that he always arrive on the advertised and never fall down, like be late. Oh. You get there on the advertised mm. time and not fall down behind it. I don't know. Yeah. It was, it was very... Uh, being Reliable a tr- worker. Yeah. Being a train engineer wasn't a job just anyone could do if they pulled the right levers, apparently. It was a, it was a real skill at the time. I bet it was. And his fellow engineers recognized him as one of the best in the business. All right. It was said that he was so punctual, people would set their watches to him, to his whistle. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that is, John uh-huh. Jones, that's funny. <laughs> 
Casey Jones is coming in. It must be 10 o'clock on the button. That's funny. I it like is. that. Mm-hmm. That's uh, really cute. Yeah. I don't know. There's another per piece of lore about him that's on the Wikipedia page, but the web page that it says that it's that it cites is where it's coming from. Um, it, it doesn't like make any mention of this. Um, but what Wikipedia oh, okay. says <laughs> that's weird. is that Jones was also famous for his peculiar skill with the train whistle. Uh, his whistle was made of six thin tubes bound together, the shortest being half half the length of the longest. Its unique sound that became his tr- uh, wait. Its unique sound involved a long, drawn-out note that began softly, rose, and then died away to a whisper, a sound that became his trademark. The sound of it was variously described as a sort of whippoorwill call or <laughs> like the war cry of a Viking. That's really funny. People living along the icy line between Jackson and Water Valley would turn over in their beds late at night upon hearing it and say, there goes Casey Jones as he roared by. That's goofy. I hope that's real. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. It's funny. <laughs> um... Uh, it probably also added to Casey's staying power as a folk hero that the act of heroism that cost him his life wasn't the first time that he had saved somebody's life on the tr- on the tracks. Um, in 1895, as Casey's freight train was approaching Michigan City, Mississippi, he had fellow engineer Bob Stevenson take control of the train and reduce its speed so that Casey could walk out on the running board and oil the release valves. I don't know what either of those things are. Me either. <laughs> um, while he was out of the cab, he noticed a group of small children dart across the tracks ahead. Kids. They all, they all made it across safely, except for one little girl who stood frozen in fear in the middle of the tracks, some 60 meters ahead. Well, that's just a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> he yelled to the girl to get off the tracks, but she didn't move. <laughs> what if it was just a dummy? Like, the kids oh, were pulling a yeah. prank, and like... <laughs> They were like ran across but left in the middle of the track. Who just so stands in the middle? I guess you could just freeze like, up. But she saw the train comes like ah, she freaked out. She just fight, got... flight, or freeze. <laughs> yeah, he yelled to the girl to get off the tracks, but she didn't move. Thinking quickly, he raced down out to the front cowcatcher, and stretched out as far as he could to grab the frightened but unharmed girl from the rails. Wow. I don't know. Apparently, apparently that's true. Hmm. Uh, it was in a biography of him written by a friend of his wow uh so yeah he casey jones primarily ran freight trains between his home in jackson tennessee and water valley mississippi mississippi not mississippi mississippi that's um i don't know where that is uh though throughout the 1890s he worked occasional passenger routes as well In 1893, he answered a call for extra engineers to come to Chicago for the World's Fair, and he spent the summer there driving passengers to and from the suburbs. Cute. Mm Mm-hmm. That is is cool. Yeah. So uh, passenger runs were generally shorter hours, more pay, and more prestigious than freight service, so it makes sense that in 1900, when there was an opening for an engineer on the Memphis, Tennessee to Canton, Mississippi run, Casey took it. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. The service he took over was one leg of a four-train cannonball run from Chicago to New Orleans. Uh, This run offered the fastest schedules in the history of American railroading. Uh, Some veteran engineers doubted the times could be met, and some quit. But Casey welcomed the challenge. He drove engine 384 on that route from February through April of 1900. Uh, On April 29th, he and his fireman, Sim Webb, 
did their regularly scheduled run, most likely the number four, which arrived back in Memphis at nine o'clock in the evening. Mm. Another engineer had marked off ill that day, so they were asked to turn around with very little rest and do the number one run due out at 11.35 p.m. So you get home from your long day out on the tracks, and then they say, in two and a half hours, you got to go back out. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that train ended up arriving in Memphis late, so they ended up not departing until 12.50, um, uh, 75 minutes late. Uh, it was lightly raining that night, but steam locomotives of that time apparently performed at their best in damp conditions. Hmm. For I have no idea why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had a they had a fast engine in number three eighty four, um, and a light train of only six cars. Um, so making it pretty pretty ideal conditions to set a record pace. Yeah, there yeah. was. There was reduced visibility from fog that night, um, and the run was known to have some tricky curves, but Casey was a young and am ambitious engineer. Uh, railroaders who had worked with him said that he could be something of a risk taker, and oh. over the course of his career, Casey. he was issued nine situations for rules infractions, but it was also well known that unofficially, the penalties for running behind were far harsher than for breaking the rules. You know, like this if you're late too many, up. if you're late too many times, you could get fired. If you do like a safety thing, you might just get suspended for a day or two. <laughs> seems okay. Yeah. All right. This doesn't seem right. Want... <laughs> I know. So the first section was a 100 mile section from Memphis to Grenada, Mississippi, over which he made up 55 minutes of the 75 minute delay, uh, going to like 80 miles an hour on like new tracks well i doubt that's okay i have no idea but also i mean you know you're, make, I'm, <laughs> you're, if you're on the train fired for being late you're making then. up time you know yeah <laughs> um jones made up another 15 minutes in the 25 mile stretch from granada to Win winona mississippi granada are you yeah. saying granada sorry granada i don't, I don't know. know how they say it in mississippi me either um, the following 30-mile stretch had no speed-restricted curves. By the time he got to Durant, Jones was almost on time. He was quite happy, saying at one point, Sim, the old girl's got her dancing slippers on tonight, as he leaned on the Johnson I bar. like this guy. <laughs> I know, sounds okay, fun. See. At Durant, <laughs> he received new orders to take to the siding at Goodman, Mississippi, uh, and uh, south of Durant, and 163 miles into the run. Wait for the number two passenger train to pass, and then can continue on to Vaughn. Vaughn. Um, his orders also instructed him to meet passenger train number 26 at Vaughn, south of Goodman. Um, he was told that number 26 was a local passenger train in two sections. It would be in, in the siding, so, so he would have priority over it. Um, Jones pulled out of Goodman only five minutes behind schedule. With 25 miles of fast track ahead, Jones likely felt that he had a good chance to make it to Canton by 4.05 a.m. on the advertised. Unknown to Casey, three separate trains were in the station at Vaughan. Doubleheader freight train number 83, which had been, been delayed due to having two drawbars pulled while at Vaughan, and long freight train number 72, uh, were both in the passing track to the east of the main line. Um, as the length of the train... 
was 10 cars longer than the length of the east passing track, some of the cars were had to be stopped on the main line. So they've got like a, a little offshoot of the thing that these two like stopped freight trains could be on, but they were too uh -huh. long to be on this like side thing. Uh -huh. And so there were 10 trains on the track, mm -hmm. or 10 cars on the, a few cars on the track. Um, mm -hmm. So, sorry, uh, where was I? Uh, the two sections of northbound Local passenger train number 26 had arrived from Canton earlier and required a saw-by for them to get to the house track west of the main line. The saw-by removed... They just had to do, like, complicated, like, shifting of trains around in order to, like, clear the track and get all the trains going on the right tracks where they're supposed to be. Yeah. Get this other passenger train into the house. Get uh. this other one off the track. Um, and it was... You know, they got the first one off the track... Um, uh, the saw by required the number 83 back up to allow number 72 to move forward um, and onto the east. Okay. The saw by, however, left the cars of number 83 overlapping by the north. Okay. Right in Jones's Pass. What are you reading? Right I'm now? trying to. I'm trying to remember what all this means. Oh. Uh, so as they were doing this saw by maneuver, where you get the trains, the trains all move out of the way for each other as they're going by. One of uh, an air hose broke on number 72, locking its brakes and leaving the last four cars of number 83 on the main line. Uh-oh. Uh-oh uh -oh was right. That's not good. Meanwhile, Jones was almost back on schedule, running oh, no. at about 75 miles per hour toward Vaughn and traveling through a one this and a half This sounds like it's his fault left -hand for going too fast. That blocked his view. Uh, Webb's view from the left side of the train was better. And he was first to see the red lights of the caboose on the main line. Oh my lord, there's something on the main line, he yelled to Jones. Oh my lord. Jones quickly yelled back, jump, Sim, jump, to Webb, who crouched down and jumped from the train about 300 feet before impact, and was knocked unconscious by his fall. Oof. The last thing Webb heard as he jumped was the long, piercing scream of the whistle as Jones warned anyone still in the freight train looming ahead. He was only two minutes behind schedule. Jones reversed the throttle and slammed the air brakes into emergency stop, but old 382 quickly plowed through a wooden caboose, a carload of hay, another of corn, and halfway through a car of timber before leaving the track. He had reduced his speed from about 75 miles per hour to about 35 miles per hour when he hit. Because Jones stayed on board to slow the train, he was believed to have saved the passengers from serious injury and death. Jones was the only fatality of the collision. His watch stopped at the time of impact, 3.52 a.m. on April 30th, 1900. Popular legend holds that when his body was pulled from the wreckage, his hand still clutched the whistle cord and brake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a stretcher was brought from the baggage car on number one, and crewmen of the other, car, other trains carried his body to the depot a half mile away. Um, the headlines in the Jackson, Tennessee Sun read, Fatal Wreck, Engineer Casey Jones of this city killed near Canton, Mississippi. Dense fog the direct cause of a rear-end collision on the Illinois Central. Fireman and messenger injured. Passenger train crashed. I don't think it was dense crashed. fog. Wasn't it because there was too many trains on the track? Yeah. I mean, that well, the dense the fog would have prevented them from seeing it ahead of time. but Yeah, I mean, still. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, well, the another thing is there is controversy over whether or not um, they were signaled about the trains on the track ahead. When the, when the train ahead broke, um, 
you know, it was supposed they were supposed to send out someone to send a signal about it back up yeah. ahead with like flags and stuff. Um, was he going too fast? Is that it, part of it? It said there were no speed restricted curves on oh, that on route, that one? so I think it's basically he could go as fast as he thought was safe. Yeah, you know, he was an experienced engineer. Yeah, you, you know, I guess, and he was trying to make up time. Yeah, because he would have gotten in big trouble if he didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so seems the, not right. Yeah, but the official um, conductor's report filed by the Illinois Central Railroad after the accident stated, Engineer on number one failed to answer flagman who was out proper distance. It is supposed he did not see the flag. Um, So the official um, and the final report released on July 13th, 1900, stated that Engineer Jones was solely responsible having disregarded the signals given by flagman Newberry. Um, John M. Newberry was the flagman on the southbound number 83 that Jones hit. According to the report, he had gone out a distance of 3,000 feet where he had placed warning torpedoes on the rail. Uh, He continued north a further distance of 500 feet where he stood and gave signals to Jones train number one. Um, Historians in the press had questions about the official findings. Um... So in the report, that's what it states, but um, Sim Webb, the guy who jumped off the train, who was the fireman, um, shortly after the accident and until his death, Webb maintained, we saw no flagman or fuses, we heard no no torpedoes. Mm -hmm. Without any warning, we plowed into that caboose. Wow. So (laughs) there was a, you know, uh, yeah, in some real road historians. I doubt there was any. uh... (laughs) Yeah. I find it difficult, if not impossible, to believe that an engineer of Jones's experience would have ignored a flagman and fuses yeah. and torpedoes ex- that uh, exploded on the rail to alert him to danger. Yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh, so, but, like, basically immediately after the accident, uh, he became, like, a, a national hero. And, like, yeah, that's people crazy. started talking about him. About, you know, there were, like, headlines such as, Dead Under His Cab, The Sad End of Engineer Casey Jones. Um, or, Heroic Engineer, Sticks to His Post at Cost of Life. Railroad Wreck at Vaughn's on Illinois Central Railroad. Terrible Fatality Prevented by Engineer's Loyalty to Duty. A Passenger's Story. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, (laughs) He did save everyone's life. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. What? Is he no, not no, a good guy? I, no, he is a good guy. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, no, that's right. It is. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, the and then of course after that the main um one of the passengers on his train wrote that um the passengers did not suffer and there was no panic. I was jarred a little in my bunk, but when fairly awake the train was stopped and everything was still. Um I imagine that the Vaughn wreck will be talked about in roundhouses, lunchrooms, and cabooses for the next six months. Not a, not alone on the Illinois Central, but many other roads in Mississippi and Louisiana. Um, but the the main medium in which the legend was built was through um, the song, the Ballad of Casey Jones. Um, uh, there were also like lots of books and like pulp magazines um, ma- made about it and about. I mean, it kind of like started a big like craze where like railroad engineers became like big heroes in the country. Okay. <laughs> um, Why? Yeah, they helped. didn't do anything. Well, I mean, he was, 
He did. Yeah. Not but, the rest of them. Well, the others are... I mean, his story was so exciting, they wanted to make more stories about people doing oh, similar things. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, anyway, I the, thought you just meant in general, they were all heroes. And I'm no, like, they didn't like why? become heroes. It was just like people wanted to see them as hero. li- oh, oh, heroes. Okay. Yeah, like real stories and like fictional stories oh. about them. Okay. Made. Anyway. That's the, weird. The, have, so... Uh, soon after Casey's death, the song, The Ballad of Casey Jones, was first sung by Engine Wiper and friend of Casey's named Wallace Saunders. Um, he was known to sing and whistle as he went about his work cleaning the steam engines. Uh, in the words of Casey's wife, Wallace's admiration of Casey was little short of idolatry. He used to brag mightily about Mr. Jones even when Casey was only a freight engineer. Um, but uh, Saunders never had his original version copyrighted, and thus there's no way of knowing precisely what words he sang. Oh. Um, you know, as railroaders stopped in Canton, Mississippi, they would pick up the song and pass it along. Mm. Soon it was a hit up and down the IC line. That's cool. Um, yeah. Uh, 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 Illinois Central Engineer William Layton ap- uh, appreciated the song's potential enough to tell his brothers Frank Layton and Bert Layton, who were vaudeville p- performers about it. They took it and sang it in theaters around the country with a chorus they added, but apparently ne- they ev- they too didn't get it copyrighted. Um, huh. <laughs> okay, I don't think it's necessary. I think it's cool that it just gets passed along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, reportedly, uh, Wallace Saunders received a bottle of gin for the use of the song by them. <laughs> uh, nothing more was heard from him after his time, and he passed into history as the man who helped to make Casey Jones an integral part of American folklore. Hmm. Um... Oh my god, uh, how much more of this story is there? Sorry, no. I'm so no tired. <laughs> I can't do it. Uh, okay, just was one more short little uh, epilogue. I don't know. You keep, you're moving around I'm a sorry. lot, and there's I'm lots sorry. of noises happening. I'm trying to. You gotta get up. Sorry, okay. okay. So in 1911, uh, there was a strike on the, another, a strike on the Illinois Central Railroad, um, the same railroad Casey Jones worked on. Um, so on the on the first day, thirty thousand shopmen and train mechanics walked off the job. Um, that strike officially lasted until nineteen fifteen, but was considered a failure after its first few months, um, which were pretty brutal. Like twelve people were shot dead during that that strike. But anyway, one of the supporters of that strike was a Swedish immigrant named Joel Hagland, uh, known in America as Joe Hill. Uh, he was a member of the Industrial Workers of the World Union and became a popular songwriter for them, singing about the struggles of uh, workers and the need for them organi- organizing stuff. But anyway, part of the reason that that strike failed uh, is that the sort other sorts of workers on the railroad, um, besides just mechanics, didn't join in in solidarity with them, mm-hmm. particularly the engineers, like arguably some of the most powerful workers since they were the most like skilled mm-hmm. and the hardest to replace. So by this time Casey Jones was like, you know, their 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 guy. They're like, we all we all want to be Casey Jones. He was like synonymous with being a he was like the basically the, the patron saint of railroad engineers. <laughs> <laughs> so Joe Hill um then, you know, to stick it to them, wrote a parody song of the the famous uh, uh, bah, 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 Casey Jones song called Casey Jones the Union Scab in which uh, the workers on the on the line are striking and they want Casey Jones to join but he refuses out of loyalty to the company and so he drives his uh, you know unrepaired and un, un, unmechanicked 
a train and it crashes into a river. He dies. Um, he goes to heaven uh, where St. Peter recruits him to break a strike that the angels are uh, doing because they don't want to play music for free, I guess. And so he, he recruits Casey Jones to scab on the angels. The angels then form a union, throw Casey Jones down to hell, where he uh, is set uh, to shoveling sulfur by the, by the devil. He's told that's what you get for scabbing on the SP line. What? That's gross. Dun. Why? He well, didn't be, actually do that. No, he, it was just, it was, yeah, well, the, I know, no, he didn't. He was just like a symbol of yeah, the engineers and okay. stuff. And he was making fun of them for being scabs. Okay. I don't know. I get it. I I just think it's uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. That's 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 what I got. Sorry. Okay. Sorry it was so long. No, it's fine. It's just really late and I'm really tired. <laughs> okay. Um, it was good though. Okay. But um, there's nothing else to there's say. There's nothing about, else right? to say. All right. All right. No. Anything else you want to say about no. life? No. Okay. No. All really right. no. Thanks. Thanks for your listening, folks. Yep. I've been Harry. I'm still Carly. And this has been Known Unknowns. Uh, whip it up. Because it's weird out there. Bye. Bye.